Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Guys, we're continuing our series on, uh, on the life of Paul. And as you've just seen in the, in the trailer as we've led up to this, what you've seen is the, the idea that God has put his hand on a man called Paul. And so many times we focus on other things of the scriptures, but, but we can miss the life of, of an individual that God uses to do stuff that you think, wow, how is that possible? And so we see Paul and we see his life transformation. Last week, we looked at how the grace of God was the hallmark of his ministry. And because he was a murderer, he destroyed the church. His goal and vow was to eliminate all people who follow Jesus. That's what his goal was. And so he did kill people. But then Jesus arrested his life on the road to Damascus, and he set him aside, and he called his name, and Paul gave his life to Jesus. And Jesus appeared to him. He was resurrected, but his presence appeared to him. And we know that God touched Paul's life. And from that touch and from that understanding, he became the preacher of the gospel of God's grace to the world. And because of his faithfulness, we are here today. He reached the Gentile world. I mean, this guy got so much done. He was driven. He was a man of, of incredible intelligence. But that was the hallmark of his life. And we, and we looked at last week that our identity in Christ is we are righteous. Everybody say, I'm righteous. So that means we are righteous regardless of our actions, regardless of the things we do. We don't, we don't go from being, being righteous to not righteous, righteous to not righteous based off of our actions. We are righteous because of the righteousness of Christ that we have been clothed in. When God sees us, looks at us, he says, you are righteous. And we say, I don't, I don't but I made a mistake. And he says, you are righteous. And so we are to live from our identity as righteous. There are no sinners who are following Jesus. We are saints and have been transformed from sinners to saints. Whether you feel like it or not, by golly, you're a saint. Amen? That's good. That's fun right there. That's good stuff. So we need to live and focus on what God says about us, not what we say about us. All right? So when we focus on what God says, we, we become what we believe. We live out what we learn about ourselves. And so this was the hallmark of Paul's life. I'm sure as he preached about God's grace, he was really preaching to himself. As he preached to the churches all throughout Asia Minor and, and what we would say Europe now, these areas, he's writing these letters of God, about God's grace, but I'm sure as he's writing them, he is, he's like, man, I need to hear this today. I, I, need, to, I need to receive this for myself today. And so that's what we talked about last week. It was a hallmark of his life. And so it is to be a hallmark of our life. Now today I'm going to lean in and share something that um, isn't really talked about much. It's not really talked about because uh, it's, not, it's not the most sexy of topics. There was, a, there was a, the hallmark of God's grace on Paul's life, yes, but there was also another mark on him. There was something about his life that it was, it was the result of his belief and his call and his understanding of his identity. It's not talked about much in the 
Americanized Christianity world. But it's something that needs to be understood. Instead of ignored and rejected, it's to be expected as a guarantee of those who identify themselves with Jesus. It also comes with a mission and a vision and a purpose. It is, it is who we are. And what I'm talking about today is what God told Ananias about Paul. I don't know, I, I just couldn't move past this, this interaction between God and Ananias. I just couldn't move past it. Something he said that just, God said that just rocked my world. And so God tells Ananias, go find Paul. He's blind and go encourage him, pray for him. Ananias is like, huh, yes, the dude who's been killing people like me, followers of you, God. And God was like, yes, go and pray for him. So rightfully so, Ananias is a little apprehensive, but he goes to Paul. But as he's, as he's talking to God about this, God says this, I want you to go, Acts chapter 9, verse 15, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And that's awesome. Amen. But listen, listen, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now, we like verse 15. We don't like verse 16. Verse 16 is the hallmark of the gospel that's going to flow from his life. Verse 16 is the other hallmark on his ministry in life, and it's suffering. And so just as the gospel of grace was the message of Paul's life, Suffering was the result of him being and preaching and living from that identity of righteous and a follower of Jesus. Because of it was everything in his life was about the gospel, about the truth, about who God is, about all these things, about righteousness and what it means to be righteous. Because of that, Paul was literally marked with suffering for the sake of the name and gospel of Jesus Christ. Literally marked through scars, through whippings, through beatings, and through suffering. Some of you are like, where is this at in the church manual that I didn't know we were going to have to suffer? <laughs> and, you know, there are different types of suffering that come to us in this world. One is we suffer because we live in a fallen world. We get sick. We lose loved ones, we grieve, there's loss. All of that is a, is a, it's a suffering. There's other suffering that I, I've experienced in my life because of stupid decisions. Anyone else suffered because of your decision? Okay, all right. But then there's, there's another type. There's another kind of suffering that comes to us as followers of Jesus. And it's a result of the name we were saved by. And it's a result of the name in which we now carry ourselves, which is the name of Jesus. There's a suffering that comes from carrying the name of Jesus and living out what it means to follow Jesus in our lives. Now, we're living in the same type of time as Paul did. I don't know if you're aware of that. I mean, Paul lived in the, the, the Roman Greco world that was just pagan, just sexual morality. That I, just one of the things is if you had a child during this time and, and you thought, I don't know if this child's going to be good for us or not, you could take the baby, you could leave the baby at, at, 
out on some rock for, before this God, and, and if, and if it's not going to be good, the baby's going to die. But if, God, but if this God wants you to have the baby, then the baby will, will sit out there for three days, and then you can take the baby home because it's still alive. So God's saying, so it, it was this, this understanding of life, this understanding of the value of life, this understanding of all these different cultural things is exactly the same that Paul preached this gospel of grace and stood for righteousness as it is today. So we, we can't believe this idea that well, it's so much worse today. No, well, maybe because of social media. But other than that, we're the same way. So we're living in the same time as Paul did. When he de- as he declared the name of Jesus, we declare the name of Jesus. And so we are called, like Paul was, to live from, identi- from our identity as righteous, agents of righteousness. We stand for the things of God in our life. We stand for the things of God in our families, in our schools, in our workplaces, and in our everyday society. We are the lights of the world. It doesn't say we're to be like the light. It says we are the light. And what light are you shining? We shine the righteousness of Jesus through our actions and through our words. So when you do this, though, it will cause suffering. You will suffer for bearing the name of Jesus through your words and your deeds. Isn't that awesome? I told our our volunteers, we do a volunteer service before, so I shared this with them. We were talking, I said, now don't go out there and warn them not to come in today. Don't you tell them that. (laughs) Amen. So it's very evident that we're living in a world which there's a pervasive agenda that's happening within culture. It's a tool, it's a tool to deceive, indoctrinate, teach an anti-God agenda that's for the purpose of confusing, dividing, and destroying God's purpose for humanity. We, We have to be aware of that. Friends, we need to be aware that our city where we live is a post Christian city. We don't like that, but listen, we gotta face reality so we can do and, be, and, and operate as children of God who are lights in a world that needs us to shine. So we are living in a post-Christian world. When you look at the advancement of where our culture and society was, just from practical things that are good for people in society. Just, I'm not, just, if you were to go back 20 years, things look and feel quite different. Go back 10 years, still. The advancement, though, of this pervasive agenda has increased significantly on the earth. And there's, there's a reason. There's a reason because the lights of the world have refused to shine. So this agenda, the focus is to infiltrate Family, religion, education, media, entertainment, business, and government. 
Because all those things are actually gifts of God to humanity that if they are led in a way that is, that is biblically principled, it actually is pro-life. Not just, I'm not just speaking about abortion. I'm speaking about they are pro-life. When, when the enemy has control of those areas, it, the, the agenda of the enemy comes out, and that's to kill, steal, and destroy. But when, when those things are led by individuals who are determined to shine as a light, bright in a dark world, what happens is life for humanity is better. Prosperity in humanity happens. Families actually have clarity. And so it's the agenda of the enemy to bring destruction. So when you live a life that reflects Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, and the righteousness of God, you, what you are doing is you are putting a neon sign on your chest that says this, go ahead, you can persecute me. You are inviting suffering for the sake of Jesus when you actually live and speak and act your life out in righteous ways. You guys with me today? And we know culture is not to blame. People are not to blame. The stinking enemy is to blame. But we, it's interesting that Jesus, as he rose from the dead, as he conquered death, hell, and the grave, that same spirit that rose from the, from the dead lives in us to quicken our mortal bodies. But it's interesting that Jesus said, hey, Lord, as you gave me all, all authority, I give my authority, all of it, to them. That we have the authority over demonic powers, over Satan. But it's just not from this spiritual realm where it's just like, oh, we pray. We, of course we pray. But we also act. We also do. We also stand. We also shine like a light. There's a reason why we're called lights in the, in the darkness what are you looking for? You're looking for a light, what? To follow. You're looking for a light that says, you're different. I'm going to follow you. When you're a ship on the, on, on the coast, as we, we lived in England for a bit, and so I just love thinking, I mean, just the, the dark Atlantic coast, and you think, man, this would be freaky out here. Water, it, like when I see these ships out there, I'm like, man, I, that's a world I don't know. And I'm like, that looks freaky. Actually, my wife showed me a video today of a, of a shark like coming up and eating a fish that someone just caught. And this, it was a big shark. I just came up and ate it. And I was like, I'm never going to water ever again. Actually, I, that thing's there. <laughs> but, if, you know, out. but it's dark. When you're a ship that's lost, what are you looking for? A light. Why? Because it shows you the way to safety. You are the lights of the broken world. And they're looking for a light to follow. And your light that shines is not a beam that comes out of your eyeballs. It's that you are shining with the righteousness of Jesus. So...
When we stand for Jesus, as Paul did, it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. It's difficult. But the life of Paul is going to help us, and that's the purpose of this today. The truth, though, is carrying the name of Jesus does not come without suffering. Jesus said it. He said, as they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If you're going to reign with me, you will also suffer with me. And when we sing songs like that, like we just sang, like you're never going to let me down, it's true, except we have articulated what that means. So the truth is carrying the name of Jesus doesn't come without difficulties. So though this is not popular, it is biblical. And because I love you, I want you to be prepared in this area of suffering for the name of Jesus. We need to understand this is part of it. We need to align our expectations appropriately for what it means to follow Jesus. It's kind of like marriage. Most difficulties in marriage occur, happen due to predetermined expectations that you had in your mind before you went into marriage. And then all of a sudden you find yourself, I don't know what's going on. Well, what's usually going on is you had in your mind how everything was going to work out. And how many know if you're married, it doesn't always work out that way, right? Like I often say, man, I had the perfect marriage until I got married. (laughs) And then then I realized, oh, wait a minute. Um, Okay, I had some expectations that actually that just doesn't align this way. So we need to get our expectations right. So God wants us to have a biblical expectation in this area of suffering and persecution so that we're prepared, so that we understand actually it's okay. God wants to prepare us for where we are now and also the days ahead. He wants to prepare you. So as I look at many Christians today, it's obvious that when there's a threat of being rejected or suffering for the name of Jesus, or when, when there's a decision that needs to be made, when there's a stance that needs to be stood, when there's a word that needs to be said, an action that needs to be done. For the most part, many, many Christians today will, instead of leaning in and trusting God for the outcome and the sovereignty of, I'm just going to obey the Lord and trust Him in the outcome, what happens is they lay back and they conform because they're fearful of the outcome. We see in our, in our youth, in our city, a youth crisis today. If you listen and watch, listen I, can't, I, listen, I can't do anything about Seattle. I can't do anything about, about any other city. Friends, you need to understand, God put you in a city to reach this city. Okay? You, we get obsessed with other cities while our city's burning. We're like, man, can you see that, 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 uh, that fire going on in San Antonio, can you believe that? We're like, your house is burning, bro. Your neighbor's house is burning. It's a distraction for us, and we need to understand that. But we, God has called us here. Like, he's intersected your place of living and dwelling and being and working and, and your school for a purpose for you to shine like lights in the midst of darkness. 
So in our youth, it's obvious there's an agenda with any, like, just a little bit of discernment. You can see that they are like lambs being led, led away to slaughter. Their lives are confused. They're, they don't even know what they believe. They're just, they all use the same words and rhetoric, and it's like they're robots. We're seeing in our culture, Christian, uh, of, of, of that culture making its way into our Christian families because families have relied on this idea that we live in a culture that is neutral, that is static, that Johnny can just, just flourish as, as some of the principles we've given them that no one else is trying to convince them otherwise. We live in a world that maybe Christian families think, you know what, their, their children, our kids, they'll figure it out what truth is. And I want it to be their truth. And I don't want to, you know, dictate to them what, what truth is. And like, what in the world? You're not an advisor. You're a parent. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's this idea, too. We can fall into the trap of, well, but we live in a Christian country. So the, American, the United States of America and the Constitution will teach them right from wrong. So we're seeing the crisis of our children because parents aren't teaching, churches aren't teaching this idea, you will suffer for the sake of the name. And to be honest, like, I, we, Americans, American church, we don't know really what to do with suffering. As Christians, we can come across scriptures on suffering, and we, we don't know what to do with them. We, we don't know how, how do we apply them. Because for the most part, suffering in the American church is a foreign idea. But if we don't speak about suffering in the church the suffering of our Christian faith, we create an image of God that's not even biblical. And then when suffering comes, because it will, I promise you, don't take my word for it, take Jesus' word for it, that we will be ready. When you don't understand that suffering is a part of your Christian walk, you then live your life to, to avoid it. And when you do suffer, you think that, you think that it's, it's because, well, you shouldn't have stood for that. You should have said it differently. But when you understand, actually, suffering is a part of how I identify with Jesus. Like Paul. That suffering actually is something that is expected. As followers of Jesus who live in a dark world, and the world is desperate for us to shine. Maybe it's been communicated. Maybe that's the church's fault. Maybe it's my fault. that the, the teachers of the Bible haven't communicated that suffering happens because, not because we don't have enough faith or not because there's sin in your life. And the church lacks this proper theological understanding of suffering. And if you don't understand suffering, then you'll never shine in the midst of darkness. 
Because when you shine in darkness, you suffer. So Paul lays out his sufferings. And so I want us to learn from him today that we would get a biblical view of suffering for the sake of the name. And that we would be prepared when our time comes. Because it's coming. And Paul lays out his suffering, his persecution in 2 Corinthians 11. And he's telling them all these things. He's defending his apostleship. He's defending his authority against false teachers who have infiltrated into the church. And these false teachers have come to the church and they said, you know what? Uh, like Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. They're dismantling his teaching. They're dismantling who he is, his, his authority. They're saying Paul doesn't, he really doesn't really know. We know. We know. He doesn't really understand. We understand. Paul is so like, you know, 1994. We're totally 2023 now. It's, it's they, you know, it's like, well, I know, but... I mean, the, I know Paul says that, but he doesn't understand really what the Bible really says. Or he doesn't really understand. Actually, that word wasn't added until 1949. On, like, oh, that's hogwash. That's what they were doing. And so their criticism was also this, and, and we'll read in just a moment, that it was like, yeah, I know, but listen, Paul writes some really good letters. He's educated. He's obviously smart. Okay, he can write a good letter. Okay, but if he was here... He couldn't stand up. He's, he's a wimp compared to us, compared to our ability to communicate. Compared, he's, he's nothing. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 10.10, 10, For they say, and he's speaking about these false teachers, his, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. And not only that, as you continue to, to read through this, they were really criticizing him for the Jesus for the Jesus that he proclaimed. For the understanding that your life flows from your identity in Christ. They were saying, no, you are saved and your life doesn't flow from that new identity. You can just keep living however you want to live because God doesn't care about that. You're saved and you're, you're righteous so your living doesn't matter. Paul said, no, 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 you're living in the flesh and that's going to bring destruction to your life. Now I want you to focus on who you are and live from the idea that you are quality. And so they were contradicting that. They were saying you can live however you want. You can have sex with whoever you want. You can be homosexual. You can, you can do anything you want. It was really a, a, a sexually perverse city. And I, it, it is a, it is a, as you read Corinthians, you realize, man, like you, you think, you think the American church has got problems. When you read Corinthians, you're like, man, I'm pretty sure we're a nunnery. I mean, this is, <laughs> but, but what their starting point was very, very different. And Paul didn't just let it slide. He spoke to it and he called them to say, no, no, you're better than this. This is not who you are. So I, I just... I just want the scriptures to speak today to help us. So, I, actually, also what was happening, um, they, they were, yes, they were preaching that Jesus, yeah, he gave you a new identity, but it doesn't affect your life. 
They were also convincing God's people to redirect their attention and their finances to something else besides what the purpose of the church was. And so there was a, they were distracting the people of God away from the purity of the gospel and the purity of what a local church was to be. Distracting, diluting. And so Paul begins to speak. And he writes this letter to them. And he says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. This is about purity. This is about devotion. And then he, then he, he corrects them. He says, for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus that, than the one that we proclaim, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you, you, you put up with it. You're like, oh, okay, that's, a, that's, you know, I didn't know that, so I'll receive that. And they, they weren't using discernment. They just allowed it. So someone comes in and starts teaching something about sexuality that's different than what Paul established. They were like, okay, that's cool. No, that's cool. I like that. Let's go with that. Or if, some, if someone came in and they, instead of a yellow highlighter, they used a, a black Sharpie on the Bible. They're like, okay, yeah, we'll do that too. Which ones do I mark out? Okay, we'll do that. So he's saying, you put up with it. And he goes on to say, verse, starting verse 19, for you gladly bear with fools being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes a slave of you. You're like, okay, I'll be a slave. Here, you could just use me for whatever. You want my money? Here, I, what do you want me to give it? Here, I'll do this. Or someone devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs. These were very arrogant people, very arrogant teachers. They were sharp and smart and clever and dressed well and held themselves together well and presented well. They had a great, they had a great stage presence. And they, they, they could just do, you know, and he's like, they're being arrogant. And you're like, wow, I like arrogant. Wow, they're really cool. And then he goes, or if they even strike you in the face, you're like, okay, that's fine. In other words, he's like, come on, church, get a backbone and stand up for what's true. This is what he's doing. He's saying, what are you doing? You're just laying back. Whatever wind of doctrine comes along, you're like, okay, I'll go with that for a while. And Paul's like, uh-uh. Paul's reminding us that as a, as a church, as believers, followers of Jesus, we are not to put up with this nonsense. It's not to be in our families. It's not to be in our places of work. When we are, are in, a, in a place where it affects us, we're not putting up with it for me. I'm not doing that. I'm not having that. And so Paul was saying, listen, I am devoted to the purity of Jesus, to the purity of the gospel. I'm not playing this game. I'm not building my brand. I'm not marketing my who I am. I'm not, I'm not selling books. I'm not, I don't have a TV. Listen, I'm, I, am, I am committed and anchored to the purity of who Jesus is and what the church is to be. And so he leans into this. And so he, he, and he says these false teachers, they're all, about, they're all about getting stuff for themselves. They're all about leveraging God's people for their vision, for what they want, for they, what they think is important. And and just coincidentally, they also are asking them to give money to them personally. 
And Paul says, what are you doing? Paul's like, I, these false teachers, one of the commentaries, one of the re, main reasons was a financial thing. And they, they were so frustrated because when Paul, Paul never, he wouldn't allow them to, to, to pay him. And so he made tents on the side. So he could say, uh-uh, I didn't come to you to get paid. I came to you to be pure to the gospel of Jesus. The love I gave you was not motivated by what I get. I came to give you what Jesus gave me. And they didn't like that. It was threatening to them. And so Paul says, listen, I live as a sacrifice that's poured out like water unto Christ. That's, that's my life. And he says, yeah, okay, yeah, they can teach, they can do this. But he says this, you know what? I can do something they can't do. Let, let, let me prove to you, church, that I, that I can do something and will do something that they won't do. I can suffer for the sake of the name. That's what he says. He goes on to lay out his, his, uh, his, his suffering. He says this, are they servants of Christ? And then what I like, it's like Paul's talking to himself, and then he's like, I'm out of my mind to talk like this. But then he just keeps talking. Basically, he's like, this is ridiculous. But anyway, here I go. He says, I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers and dangers from bandits and dangers from my fellow Jews and danger from Gentiles and dangers in the city and danger in the country and danger at sea and in danger from false believers. I have labored. I have toiled. I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure, the weight of my concern for the church who is weak. Actually, this is a question, who is weak? And I do not feel weak. In other words, of course I feel weak. I'm, I, this is tough. But by golly, it does not outweigh my commitment to the purity of what it means to be righteous and to be a light that shines in a dark Gentile world. I'm going to shine, baby. I'm going to shine. That's what he's saying. And I don't care what it costs me. I don't care how much it hurts me. I'm going to do it. And so he says, I must... Then he goes on, he says, who is, like, who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn? In other words, of course, I have temptations. I'm tempted just like you. I am weak just like you. If I must boast, though, he says, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. In other words, there is nothing in my life. It's, that, that statement is really profound because what he's telling you there is this journey hasn't been easy. And so it's easy to boast in our accomplishments. It's easy to boast in what God actually did. But we don't talk much about how freaked out we were before he did it. It's easy to have to talk about, man, you know what? God was doing this, and, and yet we came to this point, and God led us to do this, and boom, everything, everything's sorted out. 
You could say, yeah, I stood, I stood for Christ and or I went to the school board meeting and I, I spoke up and, and, and all these types of things and I did that and I was able to do that and we speak about the outcome, but we don't speak about how freaked out we were two weeks before the meeting. We don't speak about our weakness and trembling and, oh God, I don't, am I gonna lose my job if I, if I say this? If I, am I, what am I gonna do, God? We don't talk about what it means is say you're in government and you're like, I, listen, God's put me here to, to actually stand for righteousness. And I, I know that all the, all, all the pressure is to go this direction, but I'm going to stand. We don't talk about the fear and the conversations we had with the family. I may lose my job or I, I, we may have to find something else or, or we, this may, we may face persecution or we may get canceled for this. or We, we, we don't talk about our weakness and that's what I love about Paul is humility is like, listen, you think this was easy? But I will boast in my weakness because, as he said later, in my weakness, his power is made perfect. In my weakness, in my trembling, in my fear, in my, in my, in my the, the thoughts in my head winding, winding around, should I do this? Should I say this? Should I, should I let my words and deeds actually shine like a, like a light before all men? Or should I hide? Or should I, he doesn't talk about this. The moments of he had to come to a conclusion. I am going to shine for Jesus. I, if I suffer, I suffer. But my suffering does not outweigh the one that I suffer for, my love for the one I suffer for. Many times when we make decisions to shine like lights, we think, okay, all right, I'm doing this because of the outcome. I'm going to do this because I know God's going to, God's going to do something. No, 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 no. We suffer in our stand for righteousness because of the love we have for the one that we are representing. We don't, we don't do it because the outcomes are guaranteed. We do it because we worship the one who has guaranteed our life and saved us and called us. We stand for him regardless of the outcome. Things to remember when you suffer for the name of Jesus. Number one, suffering disgrace for his name is not a punishment. It's a privilege. I love the apostles in the book of Acts. They're standing, they're preaching, they're speaking up for truth. And they begin to get punished. They begin to suffer. They begin to get pressure. And so they left this moment that they were persecuted. And this is, this is how they saw their persecution. Acts 5.41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. They didn't say, they left being like, why, God, why? They walked, and then maybe as they got out of the reach of those persecuting, there's probably a little, little eye thing they caught. They thought, wow, what a privilege that we suffered and we didn't compromise what we know to be true. When we, when we were scared to death to speak up, we did it. Like, John, you did it, John. Like, Peter, you did it. Like, 
you to remember when you, the little girl freaked you out and you were like, I don't even know Jesus. I don't know Jesus. Uh-uh, uh-uh, I don't know Jesus. But look at you now, Peter. You did it. And they rejoiced because the Lord had given them a distinct privilege that directly connects them to him. Suffering. First Peter 4 says, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through. As if someone's, sorry, something strange were happening to you. So it's not strange. Instead, be very glad. So I don't know how you get to that glad part. But this is the biblical view. Be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. So that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed. For the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. It is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. Paul writes in Philippians 1, he says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe, which we like that part, amen, we believe, in him, but also suffer for his sake. It's been granted. That's what it says. It's been granted to you that you would not only believe, but that you would what? Suffer. Have you suffered? Because you pursued purity, you chose devotion to Christ over convenience, over acceptance. Does your theology of what righteousness is take its cue from the false teachers who are preaching a different Jesus, a different way? Does your light shine before all men and in all situations to shine? There's a time that we have to stand for what is right. We should do it all the time, but maybe our own culture has allowed for us to actually be very quiet. We can't be quiet anymore. We got to stand. And that righteousness, how you stand for righteousness and shine, looks different in your, everyone's context of work, school, university government, media, entertainment, all those things. It looks different, but the purpose is still the same as you shine. You don't dim your light for anyone, and you shine for what's true and right and pure and holy. Shine and dwell on those things. 
It's expected. It's what identifies us. There's a song by Jason Upton when I was many years ago. This song really impacted my life, and it's titled No Sacrifice. And the lyrics say, to you I give my life, not just the parts I want to. To you I sacrifice these dreams that I hold on to. Your thoughts are higher than mine. Your words are deeper than mine. Your love is stronger than mine. This is no sacrifice. Here's my life. He goes on to write, to you I give the gifts your love has given me. How can I hoard the treasures that you've designed for free? Because your thoughts are higher than mine, your words are deeper than mine, your love is stronger than mine, this is no sacrifice. Here's my life. To you I give my future as long as it may last. To you I give my present, to you I give my past. Because your thoughts are higher than mine, your words are deeper than mine, your love is stronger than mine, your thoughts are higher than mine, your love is stronger than mine. This is no sacrifice. Here's my life. Number two on what the things we do as we face suffering and things to remember. Number two, God will give you boldness to stand for his namesake in the time of suffering. Friends, this is, a, this is a, something that concerns us, but what, what if? Just like I was talking earlier before, there was times of weakness that we, re- we listen, it's, it's okay to say, man, I am afraid to stand. I, it makes perfect sense. But we pray that God will give us boldness to shine. We ask him. The early church did it. As there was persecution going on, this is their prayer in Acts 4. Oh, Lord, hear their threats. Lord, they're threatening. Or, Lord, I know things could happen. Or, God, I know I could lose something. God, I know. And give us, your servants, look, great boldness in preaching your word. Notice they didn't pray that they wouldn't suffer. They said, give us boldness to keep standing for what we know to be true even if we suffer. Ephesians 3, this is Paul writing. He says, God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom... We have boldness in whom we have boldness. So, friend, God's grace will give you boldness as you determine you want to shine brightly for Jesus. Amen? It's available. Number three, things you remember when you face suffering, God will use your suffering for good and your blessing. It's very interesting if you think about this, I, Stephen in Acts chapter 7, as he was martyred for standing for righteousness, Stephen never thought his obedience, his righteousness would actually be used 
for a man named Paul. Later, Stephen's interaction with the people is a part of Paul's testimony. Paul stood and he watched as Stephen was being killed. He supported, he held the, the garments, and he stood and he watched. And Peter, excuse me, Stephen didn't back down. He didn't say, I, may I suggest something to you? He didn't say, this is, what, this is my truth, so I'm sorry. He didn't say, uh, he said nothing about, you know, he didn't, he didn't give God disclaimers of, uh, of certain things in Scripture. And I, I, yeah, we, I mean, we live in a day where, like, when, if people are te- teaching about sexuality or homosexuality or, or trans stuff, and it's like they, they give, like, a five-minute disclaimer about, well, listen, I mean, this is not me. And, you know, I, I'm just saying if, if I was God, I don't know why we can't have a, another option in there. And I, you know, but, oh, no, it's not me. And, you know, I'm sorry. And I, but all of this, you know, I, but, you know, I, timidly, I, uh, the, the, the Bible says this. Like, what are you talking about, man? You, you are, you are ex- you, you're apologizing for God. Paul didn't see Stephen do that. He didn't see him backing down and say, well, I know that we've been doing this as Jews for so long, and I, I, I know that you, 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 you were thinking this, and I could see how you would think that. And if it was up to me, I would have, you know, I would have had a Messiah come in and kick the Romans out too, but oh, pff, God didn't ask me. So anyway, you know, I, he, none of that was happening. He was like, you crucified your Messiah. You stiff-necked, rebellious people. The one thing that was going to give you hope, you reject it. And you're still doing it. But he stood and he, and he, and he preached. Paul's watching the whole thing. Then Stephen gets starts getting pummeled with rocks and stones and execution. And he sees Stephen in the middle of dying, lifts his head, and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't understand. And then they see his face that shines like that of an angel. And then he hears Stephen say, I see the Son of glory standing at the right hand of the Father. And Paul watches him die. You don't know how God's going to use your stand for righteousness. You don't know who it's going to impact. You don't know what example you're setting for another generation, another individual, another Paul. You don't know. And there are things, friends, that we, we can't Back up, shut up, hide, stick our head in the, in the sand and just go, oh, Jesus, come back. No, no. He called you to do something and to stand and to shine because he put you here to do that. We got to forget this idea that God, God saved us so that he can get us, you know, give us an escape plan out of here. He saved you so you could shine and suffer for the sake of his glory. This is biblical Christianity. God doesn't, God is not limited 
by the percentage of us who say yes to this. I mean, God was like, Paul, can you reach the rest of the world? Paul's like, I'll do it. But for us as a church, we need to understand, friends, God's called us to shine. We're not to take a back seat as our, as our city and our, and our state becomes not just post-Christian. Like, uh, there's nothing going on. Listen, there's also a time when a certain area becomes post-Christian so long that it's just, let's stop calling it post-Christian. It's pre-Christian, and we're going to reach this, this city for Christ. We're to shine. And God will use your suffering for good and your blessing. Jesus said, blessed are those when others revile you, persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely in my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great. Most of us have an understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's about how to make sure you go to heaven when you die. And what you need to do in the meantime to make sure you you make it there. But as you get into the letters of Paul, he doesn't describe the gospel like that. There's 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 an obligation he is driven to. There was, a, there was a call that he realized why he is saved. You won't, you won't find that idea in Paul's writings. What's interesting is during Paul's time, there was a, a, an individual who was a, a pagan priest at the shrine of Delphi. His name was Pluton. He was a philosopher of the day. He was a pagan. And he was teaching that we humans have souls who have been exiled from our true home in heaven. And when we die, if we do the right things here, when we die, we're going to go to our true home. But that, that sounds more like the gospel we hear today. But for Paul, he proclaimed that Jesus is not the Lord of heaven, that Jesus actually was the Lord of the world right then and right, right now. Jesus is the one who reigns right now. Jesus is the one. And that one day Jesus will return and transform this world. And and that transformation has already begun through God raising Jesus from the dead. And our job is to occupy. Our job is to stand. Our job is to shine. Our job is to be righteous. Our job is to challenge evil in a way that is what God's called us to do. Our job is to speak up when no one else will. Our job is to stand when, no, when everyone else sits. Yes, we're to be, be kind and, 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 and right. And just like Stephen, while he's, while he's being persecuted, he's like praying for them. You're not to be a jerk and rude, but also you're not to confuse the truth of God's word with something that is mean or something that is, that is uh, whatever you want to call it, that is somehow toxic. God's word is never toxic. 
the truth of what God thinks about all these things in our world for humanity and, and how we live our lives and, and pro-life and sexuality and education and government and all, all police, all these things that he says in his word are not wrong. They're not toxic. They are the righteousness of God. And the world should hear that coming out of our mouths. And so, as you do, as you shine, you will suffer. But as you suffer, you will sense the grace of God in a way that you never have. God calls us to live from our identity and to be what God's called us to be. You are for me, being a father and a man, it's important that I, I speak righteousness when it comes to women. As I have a daughter and a wife, and it's important that I stand. It's important that when a man walks into the bathroom at the gym after my wife goes in, that I say something. Well, you know, this happened. And I, and I went up to the person, I said, hey, uh, a man just walked in the bathroom after my wife. He goes, oh, bro, I don't, I mean, that's not my business. I said, well, it's my business. That's my wife. And there's a man in there. And he said, well, I, I, you don't know that. I'm like, most women don't have mustaches. I'm just saying. <laughs> and he said, oh, man, I, I can't. I said, okay, but I can this, that's not right. That's wrong. You're placing my, my, the women and, and I, there's a reason. And so even things like that, it's a light. Why? Because it's righteous. That's right. Men, we should protect our women. Like men, we should stand. We, we should protect what is righteous. We should speak to, to that. We should care about the laws and the things that are being passed in our city that are, that are actually bringing death to our society. You should care about that. We should speak to it. Now, we can't all speak to it all the time about the same thing. No, you are called in certain areas. You must speak to where you, the area in which you're called and God's called you. Amen? So, friends, let's shine like lights in the midst of darkness. Let's not be fearful. Let's not be afraid. But let's embrace the reality of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Amen? Let's stand to our feet today. I'm so glad they didn't warn you because I, I pray this was, uh, this was impactful to you. Uh, it's my heart that you would be prepared. So if you can, just bow your heads for a moment. Lord, we, we hear your voice today as agents of righteousness to be the difference in a dark world. Lord, we want to take a moment. We want to pray. God, for each of us individually, that you would use me to be a light in the midst of darkness. That God, today, you would use me to stand. That I would do it in the spirit and the nature of Christ. That we would use Stephen as an example for how we do it. We would use Paul as an example for how we do it in Jesus. That we would hear your words that we're blessed when people revile us because of our words and deeds are a reflection 
of your righteousness that dwells in us. Lord, today may we walk in confidence, not in fear, that, Lord, you would use us to be, to be walls that hold back the agenda of the evil one for the sake of our children, the little girls and little boys that live in our city, for the sake of our young people who are being drugged around by agendas and just absolute nonsense by those today, God, who are suffering because they have believed the lie and are finding themselves flailing for a real purpose and identity and they feel like there's no hope now. God, we pray for those in our city that don't know you. May we shine like lights. May we speak the gospel. May we stand for truth. And may they find us shining brightly on the seas of a dark world. And may we lead them to you as we shine. Give us courage. Give us boldness. Lord, won't you bless your people today? If you can, just lift your hands to the Lord and receive his blessing. Lord, I bless your people today through your anointing and your authority. May you lead them and guide them. May you prosper them in the things of you, God. May you open up opportunities like you did for Daniel, like you did for Joseph. May God, you lead them and guide them. May you use them as you did Paul before kings, before rulers. May you put in them a backbone of joy as they face persecution. And today, God, we, we lay our lives down at your feet. And may you cleanse a, a wrong mindset in us that somehow our job is survival and we're looking for an escape when actually, God, our job is to bring forth and establish the kingdom of God for the sake of those who don't know you. And God, may we be life givers. May we be, by our actions, be those who stand for truth. And God, may we have confidence that you will use that for our good for the good of your kingdom, whether we can see it or not. Bless your people. Strengthen them today. In Jesus' name, we all say amen, amen and amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, visit faith.church. That's faith.church.